if you join me tonight in your book, in your Bible, 1 Thessalonians, if you would please, in your Bible, the book of 1 Thessalonians, we're going to begin a study in those two books, 1 and 2 Thessalonians. There's a couple of problems in the church. Probably if there's a church in the New Testament that God would have us to emulate, it would be the church at Thessalonica. It was a magnificent, marvelous church. And here's the kicker. Paul only spent three weeks in beginning, organizing, and teaching the folks at Thessalonica. Three weeks is all he was there. Three Sabbath days. He won them. He warmed them. He wet them. And now he's going to work them. You'll get that after a while. Okay? So let's you and I look tonight in the book of First Thessalonians, only ten verses in the first chapter, and we read a few of those together tonight. As you start the book, you find out who is the author, Paul, and Silvanius and Timotheus, under the church of the, of the Thessalonians, which is in God the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be unto you, and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, just something I'd like for you to note. This book is written to a individual, particular, local New Testament church. To the church at Thessalonica. Don't try to spiritualize it and think that uh, it was written to you. It was written for you, but not to you. In this church are certain issues that surface that Paul is now dealing with. He's had to run for his life. He's now in Corinth. It's about 50 A.D., and he's writing back to the church because Timothy has come and told him what's going on. Verse 2, the Bible says, We give thanks to God always for you all. Now, that's just another proof that Paul was a southern boy. You all. If he were not, he would have said youans. Pray for you always, making mention of you in our prayers. Remembering without ceasing, notice, your work of faith and labor of love and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of God and our Father. I ask you, would every church in the country be better off if they were recognized for their work of faith, labor of love, and patience of hope? Would our homes be better off if those three things were the identifying features of our home? Notice verse number four. Knowing, brethren, therefore, knowing, brethren, beloved, your election of God. I don't know if you want to do this or not, but the election here is a congregation, a corporative, not an individual election. So... For our gospel came not unto you in word only, 
but also in power and in the Holy Ghost and in much assurance as you know what manner of men we were among you for your sake. And we became followers, and you became followers of us and of the Lord. Just as recent as today, I had a, an appointment with a young man that I counsel with in my office. He's a young man with everything, everything in his future would be absolutely glorious. All the money that he'd ever have to have the rest of his life. Good-looking young man, but got in trouble. Now has to go every day and have a drug test. Cost him $20. He said, I don't worry about the drug test. Just I hate it costing me $100 a week to try to do this thing. Driver's license gone. I mean, the first thing I said to that young man, I said, every individual on the face of this earth needs a physical, visible example. And everybody in this church, in your lifetime, and even tonight, has a physical, visible example. The reason this church was such a great church is because they had a good example in the Apostle Paul, in Timotheus, and Silvanus. Three weeks they knew him. Three weeks they watched him. Three weeks. I'll tell you, you show me a good kid and I'll show you somebody that's not an accident. And you show me a bad kid and I'll show you something else not an accident. Paul said, you became followers of me then of the Lord. You want your kids to follow God? It's what you need to do. You want your kids to be courteous and generous and respectful? It's what you need to do. And somewhere along the line from them following you and you giving them the word of God and you praying for them and keeping them in the, in the church, somewhere along the line they'll shift that loyalty from you to the Lord. I thought you might like to know that I can see how it just blessed your heart. And you became followers of me, of us, and of the Lord, having received the word of, in much affliction with joy of the Holy Ghost. This church was going through so much persecution and affliction, they thought they had missed the rapture. They thought they were in the tribulation period. That's why they had so much trouble with the resurrection and with the second coming. These two books are dealing with the second coming of Jesus Christ. And Paul is trying to encourage them and instruct them, hey, look, you didn't miss the rapture. You're just having trouble. Pers people have problems. Have you ever noticed that? Unless you're a preacher. Verse 7, so that you were in samples or examples to all that believe in Macedonia and Achaia. For from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith to God, to Godward is spread abroad, so that we need not to speak anything. For they themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you. 
how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. Have you ever thought about this? There was no church transfers to the church at Thessalonica. Nobody moved their letter to the church at Thessalonica. The only way you can get in is get saved and be baptized. That would fix a lot of churches if just the lost church members would get saved. But in the day in which we live, we're having so many transfers, we don't know who's saved. And preachers lie about it, and church lie about it, said, oh, yes, they're a member of good standing. They don't fail to put down. They haven't been in church in 25 years. They're just a member of good standing. And we recommend to you this church member because they're no good here, so you might as well get it. Have you ever thought of that? The church at Thessalonica, the only way you could get in it was to be saved and be baptized. Isn't that something? So they were saved. Maybe that's why they acted so different. I have no idea, but I thought I'd just so to ask you. Uh, we're here, uh, are beginning this study in the book of uh, Thessalonians, and I just wonder if you've ever thought of this. The church was only lacking in two biblical truths, and uh, it did not mean that they did not believe it. They were just lacking in them. For instance, there's a lot of things in the Word of God that you know to be true, but there's a lot of fine-tuning and a lot of particulars you just do not understand. Everybody, I think, who's in church believes Jesus is coming. Amen? Probably nobody lives like that. I mean, everybody you know, that's saved, believe that Jesus is coming back. But there's some things we'd probably need to straighten out if we thought he was coming back tonight. Probably we'd, some things on our television would have to be eradicated and so forth and so on. So notice Paul believed in the second coming of Christ. I'll just give you a few scriptures. You can write them down. You don't have to if you don't want to. But he mentioned in chapter 1 and verse 10, he talked about the second coming of Christ. In chapter 2 and verse 19, he talked about the second coming of of Christ. In chapter 3 and verse 13, he talked about the second coming of Christ. In chapter 4 and verse 13 through 18, he talked about the second coming of Christ. In chapter 5 and verse 2, he talked about the day of the Lord and the second coming of Christ. So evidently, he must have believed that Jesus was coming back. Amen. Wouldn't it be nice if he'd come back tonight? Somebody told me years ago, said, I don't want him to come back tonight. He'd mess up my plans. And Really and truly, if we really screwed that nut very tight, most of us feel about the same way. we got plans tomorrow, and who knows? The Rangers may win four in a row. God knows we'd hate to miss that, amen? I better hurry because the Mavericks playing tonight. Uh-oh, three men fainted right then. Let me show you the church's testimony. Verse Chapter 1 and verse 3. Look at the church's testimony. This is a tremendous testimony. Would to God that our church had this. Verse number 3, chapter number 1. Here's the testimony. Remembering without ceasing 
your work of faith, labor of love, and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, I wish our church had that testimony in all the community and around the world. I will, I, I'd like to be known as a church of faith, wouldn't you? Now, I, I'd like to think tonight that this is a work of faith. If you think it's not you turn 74, then go $2.4 million in debt. I don't know if that's faith or foolishness. That building program that we just are on the coattail of finishing, me and Jim was going to go buy one mobile home, right, Jim? For $80,000. And we was going to put this portable building up for our Sunday school. The city of Burleson said we couldn't do it. We showed them we went $2.5 million in debt, didn't we, Jim? We showed Burleson, didn't we? <laughs> yes, sir. I mean, it may kill us all. It may make we have a nervous breakdown, but we did show them we could put brick on a real building, right, Brother Jim? Nothing to it, right? Work of faith. Since day one, this has been a work of faith. We bought property by faith. We started the church by faith. First 100 chairs we bought, we bought by faith. Jim, right now we've just ordered 650 chairs just for two rooms, plus the padded chairs for all you adults. We don't want you to go to sleep in a hard folding chair. If you're going to sleep, we want you to be comfy. Amen. And I can remember, I can remember the night when I took the offering for the first 25 chairs and a Marine gave $100 to help buy those 25 chairs because when we started, we had no chairs. We had no building. We had no buses. We had nothing except my front yard and porch and a little concrete slab. And that night, we started the Joshua Baptist Church by faith. I had no income. We had no bank account. We were so broke, we'd need a cosigner to pay cash. And we started the Joshua Baptist Church 28 years ago in my front yard by faith. This is a work of faith. It is a labor of love. You've got to love people to stay in the ministry. You've got to love people to stay in the ministry. I think I told you about the woman up in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. I was coon hunting in one of the largest coon hunts in all the nation. There were probably 500 dogs in that hunt. A lady walked by and had a T-shirt on, leading a great big old black and tan hound. That T-shirt said, the more I know about men, the more I love my dog. The more I know about people. Let's go on. Are you listening? Their testimony. Verse 7, notice, they were an example. Three weeks of training so that ye were in samples to all that believe in Macedonia, the largest city, the seaport city, the travel and merchandising center of the world. They were examples to all of Macedonia and then into the country of Achaia. Wow, what a church. Today, as I sit in my office, day after day, I get several periodicals coming across my desk 
Mary calls it junk mail, and she just lays it on my desk. And over and over and over, somebody's trying to charge me $150, teach me how to build a church. If your offerings are down, send us $150, and we'll send you three tapes and a chocolate kiss. But we'll show you how to raise money. If your attendance is down, we're having a seminar, and uh, we will teach you how to be great like us. We spend the money, go out there. I sent Brother Pickett and Brother Jim to California. Spent thousands of dollars on them two deadbeats. Come to find out they didn't even go to the go to the seminar. They hung out at the beach out there on that pier eating smoked fish. The first the first leadership seminar that Dr. Chapel ever had, I sent Brother Jim and Brother Pickett. They came back and we had a staff meeting. And uh, I said, all right, guys, tell me what's up. Brother Pickett sure laid a deep deal on me. He said, preacher, they're doing the same thing we're doing. They're just doing it better. That's one way of him saying, I don't know what's up. Listen to me. Listen to me. If we got to go anywhere to learn how to build a church or how to build people, we need to throw our Bibles away and buy us a seminar book. There's one way to win, build a church. That's win people to Christ. Baptize them. Then teach them how to love and let their work be a labor of love. Are you listening to me tonight? The example. Let me help you a little bit. I don't know if you realize this or not, but this church was the center, the home of some of the greatest Christian leaders in all the first century. This, this little church here. This church where Paul spent three weeks at. This church here where they run Paul out of town and he had to write him a letter back from Corinth. This church right here housed a fellow by the name of Demas, Seducus, Gaius, and Artistus. These are some of the greatest leaders in all the New Testament. Guess where they came from? This church. This church. What's wrong with our church being a training place to send missionaries to Thailand, to Mexico, and to cities all over America, teaching them to just go win them and love them and disciple them. What's wrong with that? That's what we want. That's what we want. Notice I just, I don't have enough time tonight, but the purpose of the book is to just commend this group of folk for their faithfulness in difficult times. Nobody ever said serving God's going to be easy. If somebody had told me what I would be going through in the ministry, I'd still be a tool and die maker. Yes, sir. If somebody told me just how difficult sometimes people can be. But you know what? Even people is not my problem. The devil in my flesh is the real problem. Amen. So uh, Paul is writing to this church, 
and commending them and congratulating them on being faithful in very difficult times. You know, you just look at verse chapter number one. It talks about you receive the Lord in much affliction, but you had a joyful spirit about it. Hey, it's okay to have problems. Just don't advertise them. If you want somebody to help you, ask them. Don't walk around with your, with your lower lip dragging the floor and making everybody feel sorry for you. Hey, look, did you know God may just have you where you are trying to teach you something? And these folks serve God with a good spirit in a difficult time. He also wrote them to defend his personal conduct. Do you know sometimes preachers have to do that? Do you know sometimes... Uh, I meet people that know more about me than I know about myself. They got the news before I got it. Really? But I thank God, you know, that maybe I can learn something from them. And then also he wrote it in verse chapter number 5 to teach them and instruct them in sexual purity. I talked a little bit last week about the social slant of society under the Roman and Greek culture. I said something to you last week about the 15 Roman emperors in Paul's day. 14 of them was homosexual. Nero did not even spare his own mother. Julius Caesar in the parades was seen funneling his 12-year-old mate, which was a male. Not only this is the kind of society that the Bible was written in. That's why over and over and over again you see the word fornication, effeminate, lasciviousness. That's why all of this is in there. Well, we just about got there in America, have we not? Huh? I think it's about time Christians came out of the closet. <laughs> Everybody else is coming out. Why shouldn't we come out and say we've got something good to say? Well, I've only got ten minutes. Let me outline the book for you, would you? Let me outline the book for you. And just this chapter, I'll outline this chapter for you. And uh, then we'll, we'll, we'll close. You say, why? What time? What's, Jim, what's the score? If Sean was in here, I could ask him. He'd say just like that. Not that he'd watch it or anything, but he'd know what it was. Verses 1 through 4. Notice this. The foundation of this church was solid. I'll not say too much about it, but it was built upon the Word of God and not upon social activities, not upon psychological principles, but it was built upon the unchanging, inerrant, eternal Word of God. That's what a church ought to be built on. Amen? I kind of like going to church where they open the Bible. I kind of like going to church where they say, turn to such and such. Don't you? I kind of like checking out what the guys said. It was founded. Its foundation was solid. Verse number 5, the founding was spiritual. Notice verse number 5. It talks about the gospel came not unto us 
in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost in much assurance. So many churches are started without any authority. Now, when I was going to start this church several years ago, I went to the home church that I was then attending, who was pastored by one of my bus kids. And I said, Brother Garland, I'd like to start a church in Joshua, Texas. And I'd like for Oak Trail Shores to vote and give me the authority to start a church in Joshua. And he had a meeting and gave me the authority to start a church as a representative out of Oak Trail Baptist Church. That's where I got the authority to baptize. Because the authority to baptize is in the church, not the individual. Amen. You've seen, folks, we had to vote to give Jim the authority to baptize. The authorities in the church, not in the individual. So we started this church scripturally, biblically. This church was not started out of a fist fight. It was not started out of a business meeting at a Baptist church where they all got mad at one another. It was started in my front yard because I didn't have any other place to preach, and I thought that'd be a good place to start. Brother Roger was there, I think, the first meeting, wasn't he, Roger? Sucker didn't start giving until several months later, but <laughs> Roger and Glenda, Roger and Glenda, were, are, they are charter members, and they were at their first meeting, and they remember how, how it was. This church was founded scripturally. I like that, don't you? Not just because somebody got mad at somebody and wanted to run something. There's a church in the, in, in, the, in the community. One of our young preacher boys just preached for it just recently in, in view of a calling for a preacher. And uh, I talked to this preacher this week, and he said that the pulpit committee decided not to call a preacher. They don't need a pastor. They're just going to have them in occasionally as they want. So, that sounds good, don't it? The headless horseman running all over the country. Notice verse number six. It's following, we're steadfast. Verse number six. This church. According to verse number six, became followers of us, and then of whom? The Lord, yeah. Having received the word in much affliction, with joy of the Holy Ghost. Their foundation was solid, their founding was scriptural, their following was steadfast, and their faith was shared. Look at verse number seven through nine. Faith was shared. So that you were examples to all that believe, for from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith to God would have spread forth, so that we need not to speak anything. Man, what a church. Folks have many times asked me, how did we get from down there with a little portable sign in front of Easy Mart 
how to get from there to here. Let me tell you, soul winning, outreach. We've not built this church on transfers from other Baptist churches that got mad at somebody and want to run something. We've built this church on soul winning, outreach, discipleship, missions, stewardship, biblical principles. That's what this church is built on. Amen. There's no doubt. You go anywhere in town, you ask them about Joshua Baptist Church, they won't, they won't cut you any slack. They'll tell you exactly what they believe about us. Because probably I've told them what I believe about them. I have no idea. Last thing, the future was secure. Verse 10. The future was secure. Now look at me. I am not looking for a hole in the ground. I'm looking for a hole in the sky. I'm not looking for the undertaker. I'm watching for the uppertaker. Waiting for Jesus to come on back. Can anybody say amen? Isn't that good? Boy, what a church. We need to emulate this church. What a great church it was. Let me give you two reasons. Quickly, I've got five minutes. I'll be done in five minutes. You say, there's no way in the world. Hey, I could be done right now if I wanted to. I just ain't ready to get, ready to get done. Two reasons why this is a great church. Let me give them to Number one, it was a complying church. They were a complying congregation. Secondly, they were a converted congregation. You know what makes a good church? People do what God tells them to do. You know what this crowd did? They believed what Paul taught them three weeks in a row. And they complied to the spoken word. So Paul writes back the written word to help them farther along in their discipleship. See, when Paul spoke, there was no Bible. And when Paul spoke to these folks at the synagogue for three weeks in a row, they thought that God was speaking to them through Paul. And they were willing to comply with what was said. Now, you know what's wrong with our church? It's not the word. It's not the preaching of the word. It's complying to the word. You know why? Because we've heard so much of it. Now we have gone gospel hard. Our tears have dried. Our hearts have become hard. And we've got away with lackadaisical Christianity so long. We have the idea we can miss church, gather our little hours around us, serve God when we want to. why this church was great, it was a complying church. It complied to the spoken word. It complied to the written word. And notice, it also complied with the leadership. Verse 6, you became followers of us, Sylvanius, Timothy, and Paul, us. They complied to the leadership. 
course, they were willing to follow God's man. You know what I told the young man today? You need a physical, visible example to follow. You say, I don't need nobody like that. I got God. Were you kidding me? Is your button belly chromed or something? You just don't want to follow God. And so you pick on God's man because there's so many charlatans and so many false men that you don't want to follow. Paul said you became followers of us and then of the Lord. Is that right? Well, I'm sorry I didn't mean to hurt your feelings. I, I just thought it was true they were willing to follow the man's God also. They were willing to follow God's man, but after they followed a while, they began to follow the man's God. Now, for a while, uh, if Brother Williams had turned left real quick, I'd have ripped his back pocket off at Bridges. That's the guy that led me to Christ. I just want to be with him all the time. I want to go soul winning with him. I just want to be with him just because I thought he was a good example. I thought he was better than them guys down at the beer joint and down to uh, some of the other places that folks like you uh, went to before you got saved, and uh, I, I just thought I'd I like being around a preacher, and it was okay. And after a while, I just knew it wasn't a preacher who died on Calvary for me, and I just knew it wasn't a preacher who's coming back to take me to heaven, and I knew it wasn't a preacher building me a mansion in heaven, and I knew it wasn't he who indwelt me, and so I just fell head over in heels in love, not with a preacher, but with the preacher's God. You understand that? I said, you understand that? And the reason this church is such a great church, the reason they serve God in much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit of God because they were a compliant church. They complied with the Word and complied to the man of God. And then the God of the man. Isn't that great? I close. You say, you're kidding. No, this is the third time I've closed already. It was a converted church. I said it was a converted church. Every member was saved. Man, wouldn't that be something, Brother Jim? See, saved people comply to God. You say, well, preacher, now don't make me mad. I'm not. Look at this verse. Verse 9. For they themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you, how that ye turned to God from idols. Turn to God. When I was a kid, you know what you used to call getting saved? Making the change. That's what they used to say. Have you made the change? Have you made the change? In other words, saved people act different. Saved people look different. 
save people do different. And in this church, everybody was saved. And it showed when they turned from their idols. Now, I know we have no idols in America. So it is strictly an application to the folks over in Thessalonica. Can I help you? I want to be kind. I want you to understand what I'm saying. Idol-worshiping leaders in the church make poor leaders. If there's something in your life bigger than God, bigger than his church, bigger than his program, a new Christian probably is watching you. Idol-worshiping leaders produce idol-worshiping Christians. New Christians has to see somebody to follow. An example to look at. They was a turning from and there was a turning to. How you turn from God, turn from idols to serve the living God. That's wonderful. Man, what a church. Amen. You know what would help our church? I don't have to say it. You already know it. If you're not acting like you're saved, the first thing you need to do is get saved. Ed, save that you deserve. You say, well, you don't understand I was raised in a Christian home. Is that right? If you're not saved, the best thing you can do is get saved. How do I know? By their works. You shall know them. Turn from idols to serve the living God. Isn't that a great church? Just think, that's only the first chapter. To serve the living God, to wait for his son from heaven. What are you waiting for? I did read one time, he that hath his hope in himself, purifieth himself even as he is pure. If we thought that Jesus would be back before 12 o'clock this evening, the last thing we'd want to do is to worry about what the Rangers did or the Mavericks. If we thought he was coming back before 12 o'clock, I bet there'd be a lot of getting right with the mate before that time. Maybe some I'm sorry's would be spoken. Maybe, Lord, I'll do what you want me to do. I'll be what you want me to be. 